Hey now, and welcome to Quantum Drive. I'm Rob. I'm Katie. And our ongoing mission is to discuss every episode of The Orville. Today we are discussing Season 2, Episode 7, called Deflectors. It is written by David A. Goodman and directed by Seth MacFarlane. We have no new reviews this week. If you would like to have us read your review on an upcoming episode, though, you can go to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star rating, and write a review below. If you'd like to email us, you can do so at quantumdrive at thegeekgeneration.com. You can follow us on Twitter at quantumdrivepod. You can join us in Discord. A few people already have, which is super exciting. They've Yay. come over to chat with us in Discord at thegeekgeneration.com slash Discord. And if you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash thegeekgeneration, where you can get alternate mark reviews and bonus podcasts every single month. Before we talk about the episode itself, Katie has trivia. I do. There is a lot of stuff that happens in the simulator in this episode, which was really cool. One of those occasions is when Lokar and Tala go in and the movie that's playing is Anchors Away, which is a movie starring Gene Kelly and Catherine Grayson, who happens to make up the name of Commander Kelly Grayson. And I thought that was pretty cool. That's a nice touch. I like yeah. that. So that's like a little Easter egg. Yeah. Also... The opening scene takes place on the same set where Neil Patrick Harris, who plays Barney Stinson, and it's from an episode of How I Met Your Mother. He sang a song called Nothing Suits Me Like a Suit. And this is the set that they recorded that on. Oh, wow. I remember that episode. That's cool. I, I do, too. I watched all of How I Met Your Mother. I did as well. It was a weird thing just to have a musical number in the middle of that show. Mm hmm. But it was it was very memorable because as soon as I read this, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that. So it's kind of neat that in Hollywood, the sets just get used for several different things. <laughs> yeah. And I wouldn't have known that unless I looked this up. There is a moment in this episode, too, where Tala orders the computer to play the simulator at time index 1000. I'm, I'm going to say this wrong. 1701.7. Mm -hmm. And this is believed to be a reference to the whole number of the USS Enterprise. From the Star Trek series. NCC 1701. Yeah. So that was pretty cool. There's always like little nods. Do you know about the other part of that? The 0.7 and why that's important? No, but please enlighten me. So I read something similar. And if you look at the iterations of the Enterprise that we've seen throughout series and movies, there are six. Meaning that it's almost like a weird reference to the Orville being a spiritual seventh Enterprise. I approve of this. Because in my head, it is a spiritual seventh enterprise. <laughs> Very much so, yeah. There is a moment in this episode where Lokar and Tala dance. Mm -hmm. And they are dancing to a 1941 rendition of There Will Be Bluebirds Over the White Cliffs of Dover, performed by Glenn Miller and his orchestra. Nice. Yeah, I like to give nods to the music because I feel like that's a big part of the show. But it's mm -hmm. just a subtle, a subtle thing that doesn't get talked about all that much. In this episode, it's interesting that Clyden tells Bordis we should never keep secrets from each other in Topa. However, when Clyden is arrested for the murder, a suspected murder, he tells Bordis to only tell Topa that he loves him. Is that a lie or is it a is it an omission a lie by omission? It's a lie by omission to be like, hey Topa, your dad is in jail right now. Yeah. Like, cause I mean I'm sure Topa's gonna be like, hey, where's dad? Where where's where's Clyden and so I thought that was interesting. It's more of like, you can do what you will with that, but it is a, it makes you think about it a little bit because is Clyden kind of a hypocrite? I don't know. In Kelly's simulation program, 
there's a newsie that announces that the Japanese military surrendered to the U.S., which they say kind of places the program around September 2nd, 1945. It's definitely 1945 uh, Mm -hmm. because we hear them actually say the year. But yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because like that was a bustling set with people in costume. I honestly kind of wish that simulators were real so I could go explore. It's very charming. Yeah. This episode specifically has been compared to an episode from Star Trek The Next Generation called The Outcast. Both episodes kind of talk about a taboo relationship between a crew member and an alien from a repressive culture as an allegory for homophobia. Mm -hmm. In this specific Star Trek episode, Commander Riker has a relationship with Soren, and I'm probably going to pronounce this alien species wrong. A Janai? Janai, yeah. Yes, who secretly identifies as a female. And the Janai are a, an alien race that is androgynous and regard any gender expression or sexual relationship as perverse. So it kind of parallels. Mm-hmm. It was a big deal when they did that in TNG. And yeah, I can absolutely see the parallels here. Even if it's not an androgynous species, it's similar enough. Yeah. So I just thought that was interesting because there's always, I mean, there's so many Star Trek episodes there's bound to be some little overlaps. Absolutely. And I'm completely okay with it. They have a different take. Yeah. And it's, it's, a, it's a different story no matter what. Absolutely. There's a couple guest stars in this episode. The actor who plays Lokar is Kevin Daniels, and he is a cast member on Modern Family and the Netflix show Atypical. Mm, I haven't seen Atypical, but I do watch Modern Family. I know he plays Cameron Mitchell's friend Longinus on there, and he's quite good on that as well. So. I have to catch up on Modern Family. I used to love that show and then I didn't have cable anymore. And so I kind of fell off. And now I don't have an excuse because there's bingeable ways to watch it. So (laughs) I got to catch up. Ren T. Brown, who plays Captain Rycheck, one of the Mocklins in this episode. Mm -hmm. He also played the Klingon Kolar in Star Trek Voyager in the episode Prophecy. It doesn't spring to mind, but I would have to. Yeah, I'd have to go back and watch that one. Mm hmm. I still need to watch Voyager, so sound off and yell at me to get that on my to-do list. (laughs) (laughs) And then last but not least, we met this wonderful talking plant named Grogan, and he was voiced by the one and only Bruce Willis. Uncredited, by the way. Mm Mm-hmm. I just think that's fascinating that Bruce Willis was like, yes, let's get in on a talking plant. And that was probably one of my favorite parts of the episode as well, so... He has kind of like a hippie surfer type voice. So Mm -hmm. until I knew it was Bruce Willis, I definitely didn't pick up on it. Same. I honestly forgot until I looked up fun facts. And so (laughs) it's that's why I like looking up the fun facts before watching because I can I pay closer attention. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So those are all the guests and fun facts from this episode. Awesome. All right. So Kelly and Cassius are on a date in the environmental simulator with a program set in 1945 New York. He brings up a trip that he keeps asking her to go on, but she says it's not the best time. After a discussion of their future goals, Kelly ends the relationship. Kind of seemed out of nowhere to me a little bit. Yeah, we don't know necessarily how long they've been dating. No. And obviously we only see certain parts of their relationship and not all the background stuff. Clearly there's other things happening because he makes the comments about all those things that she said. That were kind of put downs of him being a teacher and stuff like that. Yeah. 
I would love to be a fly on the wall because I wonder what she had said to make him think that. It's mm. kind of awful. But here's the thing. Maybe she didn't. Maybe that mm-hmm. was his interpretation of what she said, too. Maybe he feels insecure about being a teacher, especially dating someone at her status level on the ship. Mm-hmm. And he might have interpreted it that way. We just don't know because we never saw those scenes. I just feel like dating in general when you are in any sort of command on a starship would be challenging. Absolutely. And I just kind of feel like she had some roadblocks. She's like, I'm just going to stop it here before he gets hurt. And I think it seemed like she was a little callous to it. Yeah, I think that might just be the way that she deals with stuff. Maybe emotionally, she just kind of shuts it down. Yeah. And I can understand that. Some people do. Yeah, I know it's just been interesting watching her dynamic with Ed. She's a lot less guarded than she is with Cassius. Mm -hmm. Cassius? Cassius? Oh, no. Cassius. Cassius. The show got me. So (laughs) I also had the thought, too, that on a ship of 300 people, how awkward must it be after breaking up with someone like my high school class was maybe like 217 people. Mm -hmm. So it's not like a lot bigger than some like normal size town high schools. Yeah, I fear that it would be a normal occurrence to just kind of have to pretend the other person's not there or just oh gosh can you imagine if it was a messy breakup i bet gossip spreads like wildfire on the orville (laughs) we know from this episode it does how quickly people find things out or speculate about things Mm -hmm. but i think it also often ends up the way it does here with cassius going to put in a transfer to leave the ship it's the only way to fully remove yourself from a situation like that like if you have a romance with someone and you I mean especially if you're like I want to get married someday I'm sure you could work through it and deal with it but she's also an officer that's higher up on the ship you're Mm going to see her a lot and hear her a lot so you kind of have to remove yourself from that I am sad to see him go because I did enjoy his character same the Orville has rendezvoused with a Mocklin ship which is transporting an engineer on board to upgrade their deflector screens Bordis recognizes the engineer Lokar and reveals to Mercer and Grayson that the two of them used to date. I want to point out, I think this is the first time we've seen Mocklin Tech. Uh, like their ship and everything? Their ship and the shuttle. I think it's definitely the first time we've seen a Mocklin shuttle. It looks so good. Yeah. Like it just, I don't know. I really enjoyed seeing, it was like kind of brownish and orange colors. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I thought that the... I love seeing any sort of like interpretation. Everything's very similar across the alien species and races. Like the shuttles are very similar, but they all have their own flair. And I really enjoyed seeing something different from the Mocklins, like actually seeing a little bit more into their their culture and how they design things. So I just I really enjoyed that. Mm. But yes, we do meet Bordis's ex-boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> in engineering, Lokar and Lieutenant Lamar are working on the upgrades while Bordis and Tala look on. Lokar asks Bordis if they can talk later, but Bordis insists he'll be very busy. Tala makes sure he has everything he needs before returning to duty. And of course, like at the very end of this, there's that musical sting mm-hmm. and that little like foreshadowing glance from Lokar as Tala's walking away. He's doing like the, the Helga Hey Arnold to Tala a little bit. I haven't seen the show. So. Okay. So if you if you haven't seen that show, it's a cartoon from the 90s that I grew up with. Helga was so mean to Arnold, but she was in love with Arnold. Okay. So it's very much that Lokar is kind of being very curt and short with Tala. And she's like, okay, I guess. And it's because he's conflicted about his feelings for her. And probably overcompensating 
to make sure that nobody would suspect a thing. Yeah. He he just gets on the ship, though, and he's like, time to get to business. Mm-hmm. I do wonder how that conversation with Bordas would have been if Bordas had been like, well, yes, we'll discuss things, but we don't really ever get to see that. We see a portion of it next, but not really. Yeah. In their quarters, Bordas, Clyden, and Topa discuss Lokar over dinner. Mid-conversation, Lokar arrives, and Clyden invites him to stay for dinner. What did you think about Clyden's behavior here? Man, Clyden is just a big old box of joy sometimes, and I... Clyden reminds me of just somebody who is so by the book. I just thought it was interesting that he's like, yeah, come on in. Let's have dinner with your ex-boyfriend because he's so, especially with the porn addiction, with all these other things that have happened, it seems odd that he's like, come on in. Let's have a let's have a nice meal together. That he's as courteous as he is. Mm-hmm. But at this point, did he know about it? Oh, yeah. So then, like, that's interesting to me when you look at it from that perspective, is that Bordas probably confided in Clyden because they're mates, I'm assuming. Well, at this point, are you saying that he was Bordas's ex or that he was attracted to females? Attracted to females. Oh, I don't think he knew. Okay. So then in that case, it is interesting because it, it, it lines up that Clyden would be like, yes, we're going to be we're going to be cur- like courteous about all this. But it seems out of character for Clyden. A little bit. He did have a hint of jealousy though yeah when lokar is like i would hope that we could be friends and Clyden kind of chokes on his food for a moment Clyden's the one who invited him in for dinner so what do you want (laughs) yeah what what were you expecting to come out of this (laughs) i honestly didn't think it would be him coming in i wasn't sure where it was gonna go and it ends just as awkwardly as one would think it would i think it was lokar feeling out if bordis had shared more hmm and so it was probably to get a gauge on Bordas and where they stood. Interesting. That's at least where I, because I mean, that's such an awkward situation. Most people, granted, I'm not a Mocklin, would avoid any sort of situation like that with an, an ex. It's certainly possible that he was gauging all that. But yeah, yeah, it did seem kind of a weird intrusion. Mm-hmm. The next day, the crew is preparing for a test on the upgraded deflectors. And Turco arrives with cupcakes, which Dan is excited about. But Lokar wants no part of at the moment. The cupcakes look great. They're little Orville's on them. I would like one of those cupcakes, please. Sure. Dan had the appropriate reaction to said cupcakes. Did he, though? (laughs) He celebrated that she worked her butt off, I would assume, unless she used the replicator for it, to make those cupcakes. And so, or the food synthesizer, excuse me, and... Actually, now I'm going down a rabbit hole in my head of like, how do you make custom bakes in a food synthesizer? (laughs) I bet she synthesized the ingredients and then made the cupcakes. Oh, yes. That's always been something on a starship. I've wondered is how their kitchen situation Mm -hmm. looks like. Can they hit a button and like they've got a stovetop? Maybe. They've got like a, a whole oven, a microwave, any of that. But I feel like Dan was celebrating the fact that he got a free cupcake and someone worked hard on it. I feel like Dan had a proper response at the wrong time. In Lokar's defense, <laughs> even though he was very short and he didn't respond well, uh-huh. I don't think this is the time when they should be eating cupcakes. Like as the test is getting ready to start, mm-hmm. when Lokar says later on, oh, I will try a cupcake. Now it's time for celebratory cupcakes. But whose fault is it then? Well, it's Turco's fault. Because she made the cupcakes and brought them in at the bad time. Yes, so she should yeah. have waited. Yeah, but I like the sentiment. (laughs) (laughs) 
Look, I cut Dan a little slack on this one. You did. I appreciate that. <laughs> the bridge crew briefly discusses the details of Mocklin breakups before initiating the deflector test, which involves the Mocklin ship firing upon the Orville. As they begin, Lamar is impressed with the numbers he's seeing, as is Tala. This is where Gordon kind of guesses how the breakups happen. Yeah. In Mocklin culture, and I really enjoyed that. That's interesting, though. That they pull a tooth out and give that tooth to their ex. Do they give it to the ex? Or I think they pull out their ex's tooth and they give it to their next mate. Yeah. Who eats it. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, whatever floats your boat. I mean, (laughs) I just enjoyed that Gordon was able to actually like guess portions of how that that ritual worked out. Right. (laughs) Getting very familiar with the Mocklin way of doing things. Mm hmm. The test begins, and Malloy dumbs down his flying so they can actually take some fire. The Orville stands up well, even to a torpedo hit. Suddenly, the starboard emitter array is losing power. Lamar wants to abort the test, but Lokar ensures him that everything will be fine. Before the order can be executed, Lokar is proven right as the emitter resets, and he then agrees to try a cupcake in celebration. Yay! I also think it shows that he is very competent at what he does and mm-hmm. that he knows what he's doing. I thought it was interesting they shot a torpedo. Yeah. And I wasn't sure if it was a bit, but part of me in the back of my head, I had cannon like, wait, is there more to this? But they had their engineer on board, one of their best engineers on the Orville. So yeah, they don't, they clearly don't want to blow it up because they don't want to get rid of Lokar. Mm-hmm. That was kind of like almost not a throwaway thing, but kind of. And so my brain went, went wild with that. It was interesting. For sure. Yeah. It made for a funny bit, but it was also interesting. Yeah. Maybe there's more to it. Maybe. Ed enters Grayson's office and learns that she and Cassius have split up. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) As he samples the cookie bouquet that was sent by Cassius, Bordis and Tala arrive to inform them that the team is ready to finalize the upgrade on his orders, which he promptly gives. Okay. You think it's odd he's eating the cookies from the cookie bouquet? No, I do, though, think that a Cassius would be furious if he knew that was what was happening. He took the cookie bouquet. Can you imagine if he passed him in the hall and Ed is carrying the cookie bouquet as he's eating one of the cookies? (laughs) Now I want a cookie and I'm not I want a sugar cookie. I'm not even joking. But Ed kind of had some opinions about it, too. Like, you know, I didn't think you guys were like right for each other. Like, first of all, oh, my God. (laughs) Well, we know that Ed wants to get back together with Kelly. So this is all like, I know, oh no. but you don't say that. Like, I didn't think you guys like I can see it as a supportive girlfriend being like, you shouldn't have stayed with him. Mm-hmm. But Cassius was a nice dude. He really didn't seem like he did anything wrong. But I just felt like Ed wasn't the right person to be like consoling her. No, he was just there at the yeah. time. Obviously, they would have had to talk about it at some point. True. And he got a cookie bouquet out of it. So, I mean. So win, 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 win. (laughs) I wonder, because we had talked about the synthesizers, how much weight, emotional weight these kind of gifts hold in the future where they can synthesize virtually anything. Yeah. And it really must come down to the thought counting more than anything when you have like, hey, I can make anything for you. Yeah. I think it is It definitely at that point, it's kind of like your worth is based on reputation. It's more about the thought and the process that it took to create that. In which case, is a cookie bouquet even really saying much of anything? Maybe she loves sugar cookies. Maybe. We just don't know that. And so I think it kind of comes down to the 
even like in our day and age when people break up and they try to like placate it with silly things and frivolous items like here's some chocolate covered strawberries do you Mm. still love me and it's like even though you get them you don't place any emotion on it because you don't want that anymore so it's kind of like a one-sided thing and i think it shows that well on the show as well Mm -hmm. he's trying so hard (laughs) as tala returns to her quarters she's surprised to find lokar waiting there for her she's even more shocked when he tells her that he's attracted to her it turns out that despite their all-male species, some of them are attracted to females, and there are consequences for them revealing it. As Lokar leaves, Tala is left to process it all. I thought she'd be more upset that he was just in her room. How did he get in there? She's the security officer. That was a big question I had. I'm wondering if she just doesn't leave her quarters locked, but as the security officer, I don't know if I can even headcanon that. Yeah, and I feel like... Maybe she has such confidence that she could handle whatever came her way that I would feel my reaction be a lot more upset than she was. Mm-hmm. But she maybe she's given him the benefit of the doubt. It is interesting that he goes, I have feelings for you kind of thing. And I just feel like there's a lot of information to take. There's a, there's a Mocklin in your room and now he's telling you that he has feelings for you. I just don't really know where. What are you supposed to do with that? I wonder why he wouldn't show up at like her office, a more public yet private place like if he showed up at our office be like hey can we lock the door because i have something i don't want anyone walking in on and hearing yeah maybe he's worried about there being bugs maybe i don't know yeah yeah because there is a lot of consequences for being attracted to females especially i wonder about females of another race tala has a lot to kind of unpack after that Mm mm-hmm and I still am hung up on the fact that she that he's in her room. Also, that's so. just not a good first move. Hey, I broke into your place. I'm just <laughs> waiting for you. Let's date. <laughs> yeah, let's have a date. Ed and Kelly are in the mess hall sharing a meal and discussing Kelly's breakup. Meanwhile, Gordon, John, Tala and Isaac are watching on and discussing them when Tala seems to gain some clarity on what to do about Lokar. This is a wonderful example of the gossip mm-hmm. that just kind of spreads across the ship. And, oh gosh, this is where they talk about Isaac and Dr. Finn. Mm-hmm. And it is interesting. I bet there's a lot of gossip about Kelly and Ed, like a lot. Oh, I'm sure. Ed's whole demeanor here is interesting, too, because it's basically he's doing and saying whatever Kelly wants to hear. He's playing that overly supportive friend role. Yeah. As like, hey, if I'm just the right kind of guy right now, who knows what could happen? It's like the friend in all of the romance comedies we watched growing up who's like, man, if only she would see me kind of thing. (laughs) But I do. I do think he's doing it because he's hopeful that it means she'll come back to him. Tala then finds Lokar in the briefing room where they discuss what he'll do next. She then invites him to the environmental simulator. On their way in, they're seen by someone whose identity isn't revealed. Ugh. They could just be going to check out the simulator. It could be something totally innocuous. Yeah, them walking through the hall together didn't seem like an overly suspicious kind of thing. Like, oh my gosh, he likes her. Like, you wouldn't... (laughs) Like, they weren't making out. They weren't, like, holding hands or getting feelsy. It's... It's it's not really Im- even implied, in my opinion. No, they've also been working together on this upgrade, so it's not out of line that they would just, like, hang out a little bit, even, or it could be work stuff. But maybe in Mocklin culture, that doesn't happen. 
I don't know, maybe. Yeah. It was interesting, too, to learn a little more about Tala here and her reasons for entering the fleet. Mm-hmm. While joining the fleet was seen by Alara's family as it being like beneath her, Tala comes from a line of people that had served. So she has a whole different view of this career from a Zelayan perspective. Mm-hmm. Which would explain a lot of her confidence as well. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like in her blood. Tala shows Lokar the 1945 New York simulation that we saw earlier, but this time at night. Through a nearby window, they notice the silhouettes of a couple dancing together. Lokar is surprised that such a restrained movement is considered dancing, so Tala teaches him how humans slow dance. While teaching him, the two kiss, but are interrupted by Grayson, who asks Tala to come to her quarters. When Tala leaves, Clyden enters to find Lokar continuing to practice his dancing. He then tells him, I know what you are. Them kissing was kind of weird. It all seems kind of rushed. A little bit, yeah. But Lokar's only here for a little while, too. So if he doesn't do it now, then he's not gonna probably. Yeah, do you feel like Tala is just kind of going with it? Or do you think she's got feelings for him? Hmm. I think that... If she hadn't had a little bit of an epiphany while she was in the mess hall, like when they were talking about N. Kelly, she has the like look on her face when she's like, when the universe brings something nice along, why would you ignore it? Yeah. I think she's taking a chance on it. Even if she's not like all in, I think she's seeing where it goes. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. It just seems like, oh, dang, now they're they're kissing. Yeah. And I can understand, though, they're in a romantic evening stroll in New York City dancing in an empty street. It makes sense. I've seen some movies. <laughs> so I don't know how Clyden would have inferred that he likes the ladies because he didn't see her or see them kissing, didn't see them technically dancing. He could have just been like watching the waltz in the window and decided to give it a whirl. Like, yeah, I guess it's not a huge leap to go from seeing someone in a like a slow dancing simulator by himself with the person who just left to assume that they were dancing together. Maybe that's my naivete who's being like, oh, everybody's just doing something fun. Like, and so maybe that's just me. It does feel a little bit like a leap, though. Like, I get that. Yeah, it's a little rushed just for the sake of time. Yeah, I noticed a couple things in here. One, Tala says, I used to date a human, believe it or not. I find it pretty easy to believe when she's serving in the union and it's like a predominantly human fleet yeah i feel like sometimes you just gotta get what you can get yeah (laughs) and what a height difference between the two of them yeah he is tall he's very tall Mm -hmm. i assume that is slightly awkward not only for dancing but also for kissing (laughs) i feel like okay that would hurt your neck right from her perspective (laughs) yes probably his too yeah In Grayson's quarters, Kelly shows Tala a Katrudian who Cassius sent to try and win her back, then asks Tala to get rid of him. That's Bruce Willis. It is. This was just a weird scene. Yeah, I mean, it's probably just like a little bit of a bit. Yeah, they just needed a reason to get Tala away for a moment. Yeah, and that makes sense. Yeah. But maybe it was kind of like a security breach in a way. Oh, totally. Yeah, there's an intruder. It's like a sentient flower. This is the second person in this episode that's broken into someone else's quarters. That is true. Maybe that's why he's really leaving, because he got caught breaking and entering, and they couldn't justify that anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Tala arrives back in the simulator to find Lokar missing. She asks the computer to locate him, 
and is told that he's no longer aboard the Orville, and a shuttle never took him off. She then accesses a security playback of the current program and witnesses a distorted figure enter and fire a blaster at Lokar, vaporizing him. I feel like the shadow, Mm -hmm. the way they incorporated the distorted figure was interesting. It's like blocky and kind of, I mean, it looks like Clyden to me. Granted, I know Clyden was just there, but the stature seems very Clyden-esque. Yeah, and I think that's okay given what we learn about how it was distorted. Yeah. It just seems like, to me, it wouldn't be that far of a reach to kind of go, if Clyden stood next to that distorted figure, be like, hey, something similar here. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I also noticed, too, that unlike Star Trek, we don't often hear someone talk to the computer. No. It's usually button pushes, and the computer rarely even talks. Yeah, it's very... I believe this as well, and I'd probably need to double check this. I think his sister, Seth MacFarlane's sister, does the voice of the computer in the show. It is. And so that's that's kind of cool, but I wonder if they just want to keep, I don't know, the computer illusion a little bit mysterious. Yeah, I think they just want it to be different. Yeah. And that's been interesting to me because I feel like if I could talk to a ship, I would do it all the time and just be like, hey, ship. <laughs> How you, how you doing? <laughs> yeah, how you doing today, ship? Like, because I would uh, like associate some sort of personality and you know me. Yeah, so that that's interesting. But I do feel like the whole thing's kind of sad that he set up Clyden. Mm. When you look back at all of this, because it's like Fortis and Clyden are mates. Yes, I don't even think it's a jealousy thing. I just think it's a scapegoat, and that to me, I can't reconcile. Mm. So like I like Lokar, but at this moment, and then when you go to the end of the episode and think back, I'm just like, I can't just be like, yeah, I get it. But also, yeah, yeah. In the briefing room, the footage is shown to the senior staff and the Mocklin Captain Rechik. They're unable to figure out what the motive for killing Lokar could have been. Tala then reveals that she took him to the simulator because he expressed a romantic interest in her. This outrages Rechik, who accuses her of doing something to him. I mean, at that point, one of your best engineers is gone, and he's allegedly dead. Mm-hmm. Last person he was with that someone saw was Tala. I don't think he's accusing her of hurting him. I think he's accusing her of encouraging this deviant behavior. Oh, I didn't think about that. Because I was still going off the bases. Everyone's just friends hanging out. Oh, no. He says, he says deviant behavior. Oh, that's right. I feel... I don't know. I... It makes me sad Mm. because it is it's all an allegory for homophobia Mm -hmm. and how Mocklins are an all male race. And the fact that he is attracted to a woman or females. The thing is, do you think that they all just think he is attracted to females or do you think they know it and they're just ignoring it? Like all the other Mocklins? Yeah. I think that they had no suspicion. Okay. Whatsoever until Tala says this and they're like outraged at it. Yeah. Which makes sense because it's punishable Mm -hmm. in their culture. I think the whole attitude around it, obviously, it's just disappointing. But there's already so many drastic things within their own culture. The Mocklin culture is very tricky. And it's harsh. Like, it's just flat out unforgiving. Yeah. There's a lot going on in the scene, kind of in general. Mm Mm-hmm. Tala's behavior remains consistent with what we've seen from her before. She does not hesitate to speak her mind. No, that's so different than what we've had with with Mm Lara. Just the fact that 
She's kind of a loose cannon in a way. That's why Ed kicks her out. Yeah. Yeah. She's just kind of saying what she wants and I guess deal with the consequences later. Mm -hmm. We also find out later in the episode that Bordis does know the truth about Lokar and he's choosing here to not back Tala up, which is surprising for him, given his sense of duty. Very true. I think maybe it's because other Mocklins are present. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. It's a very complicated, oppressive culture. Mercer and Grayson meet with Tala and tell her that she should have given them a heads up if she was interested in pursuing things with Lokar. She insists it's none of their business, but eventually apologizes. I mean, it kind of is their business now. It is now, although I kind of side with Tala here. Yeah. For all we know, Lokar was only going to be on the ship for like a matter of days, and she was doing everything she could to protect his secret. Like it could have been a quick fling and he's gone and no one would need to know. True. Ugh. I mean, it's just a complicated situation. It's only because he got straight up murdered that this is all yeah. <laughs> coming to the front. Yeah, and it, the thing that's crazy is that he did all of this to escape, mm -hmm. but it all kind of backfires on him. Mm -hmm. And I think like this show is very good about you think there's going to be a happy ending or you like always it kind of gives you that vibe of like it's just going to all work out. And a lot of times on the show, it just kind of doesn't. Mm. And I think that's like it's a reality check that most shows don't normally do, especially with Star Trek. Everything most of the time felt to me like it was wrapped up in a nice bow. Most of the time. There are a few episodes that didn't go the way they wanted. But yeah, for the most part. And this show at least leaves you lingering with questions and things to think about. Mm -hmm. Not that Star Trek didn't, but it's in a different way. Sure. Tala speaks with Bordas, who accuses her of acting selfishly. Excuse me, Commander. You have a minute? What do you want? I just wanted to make sure that there wasn't any awkwardness between us. I mean, we work closely together. You have been a selfish fool. How? You encouraged a dangerous impulse. I didn't make him do anything. He came to me. Did you know? You do not understand the Mucklin way. To you, he was a curiosity. That's a load of crap, Bordis. I felt something for him. Was what you felt worth his death? You know, you're right. I don't understand the Mocklin way. I don't understand a screwed up culture that keeps people from being who they are under threat of personal ruin. That will be all, Lieutenant. I thought you'd be more evolved. Especially given what they did to your daughter. I said that will be all. I don't blame Bordas because she's a little bit pushing a button that maybe she shouldn't push because he already is conflicted about that. Mm -hmm. But I don't know that she would she know that. Because Dr. Finn knows that. It was surprising to me that she knew. But like we said, the way that this ship talks, it's not out of the question that she would know. Yeah, that is very true. And I feel like that was not the appropriate thing. She's lashing out emotionally mm -hmm. versus being rational and empathetic. There's a there's a breakdown in communication on the Oracle. And it's a very I mean, I think she feels responsible for all of it. She did take it's a cheap shot. Yeah. So it, it is a cheap shot. It is a cheap shot, but she was also trying to prove a point. It just happened to push a button that gave us probably the angriest reaction from Bordas we've seen to this point. Yeah. I don't blame him, though, at all. I don't. Yeah. Ugh. 
Lamar and Isaac are in the simulator trying to fix the distorted data. When they successfully do, John is shocked to see that it's Clyden holding the blaster. I mean, it's not so far-fetched for me to believe, but I was like, even for Clyden, I was like, damn, he's just going to go in and... It's cold. Cold-hearted and just... It seemed drastic. Clyden seems like the type to, I'm going to report you and you're going to get justice, not like take justice into his own hands. Mm -hmm. So when that was a reveal, it's like, whoa, really? And the episode's obviously not over. It leaves you going, I don't know about that. Something's not right. Yeah, it of course does seem drastic, but given any of the other options, it does seem plausible. It does. Clyden can be pretty intense and that, let's just say, it leaned more towards he would want justice serves, but, you know, maybe he would take justice into his own hands because he's he's also kind of a loose cannon. Yeah, and we don't completely know the Mocklin way. Maybe that's how they deal with it. Oof. We then jump to Clyden in a holding cell, who insists that despite confronting Lokar in the simulator, he didn't kill him. They determine that Clyden has the means motive, opportunity, and prior history of violence to have done this, but Tala isn't 100% convinced. Bordis speaks with him alone, and Clyden repeats his claims of innocence, which he does say he believes. I think even though Bordis and Clyden have their problems, there's an honesty there. Mm -hmm. Except Bordis, maybe not so much on Bordis' side. Well, Bordis had a problem. (laughs) I know, but just, you know, the honesty with Clyden, Clyden seems overly honest. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I I feel like Clyden, while he's not someone I would probably get along with very well, at least you know he says what he means. Mm -hmm. It's just, this is the moment where he says, tell Topa that I love him. And that's where the omission of the truth might be. Though, maybe prison changes that. Maybe (laughs) being in jail. He serves some hard time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) This is also, too, where Bordas confirms that his duty comes first. Yeah. Even though he didn't back up Tala earlier, he does specifically say that here. So it's even more interesting looking back on that other moment. Yeah, there's just more complicated layers to it than I think we'll ever fully know. But I think they're they're there, but just not openly discussed. Tala discusses things with Gordon and John in the mess hall, where they inform her of some of the other crazy things that have happened aboard. She goes on to say that something about it doesn't feel right. So John adds that clearing up the distortion seemed a bit too easy, as if someone wanted them to see that it was Clyden. I mean, I don't know how to do that, so that makes sense. Checks out. Yeah. (laughs) Checks out for me. (laughs) Yeah, they make a comment that there could have been other hurdles in the way, and those roadblocks just weren't there. And maybe they've done this before because there's been other murders in the simulator. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. So maybe this was like, wait, this kind of shook out super quickly. But for me, since. I don't know how to do that. I was like, yeah, I guess. Sure, because I don't know how to decrypt uh, shadow figures from, <laughs> from Simulator. Yeah, I mean, it was fine. I've heard I've heard similar things in lots of different shows and movies where like, that seemed too easy, almost like they wanted to trap us with this type thing. So that, that works for me. Mm-hmm. She then goes to Bordis's quarters to apologize for being disrespectful earlier. Bordis tells her about his past relationship with Lokar which ended when he discovered Lokar with a Phaeton woman. He emphasizes the importance of culture to Mocklins, including that suicide is an unforgivable crime. Upon hearing this, Tala says that she doesn't think that Lokar is dead. Yeah, the rest of this episode is like little breadcrumbs that Tala kind of puts together. Mm-hmm. It is sad because Bordis 
I think he tries. He he doesn't seem to be like on the same level as Clyden. No, not at all. And he never has been. He's always been very conflicted about, I think, his own culture. Mm-hmm. I don't understand how he would end up with someone like Clyden. Maybe is it like arranged marriages? That's another thing. Like, I feel like I would love to learn more about how Mocklin's mate. Like, it's because, I mean, Lokar's an ex-boyfriend. Maybe they do date. Was Clyden the one that you were like, man, this guy is super straight and narrow on Mocklin culture. He's the one for me. But Or is it just, a, like I said, such an oppressive culture, you just kind of go, this is what I'm supposed to do. Well, maybe if, if I were to headcanon it, mm-hmm. I would say that when they got together, and not everybody has all the same values that are in a relationship. It's not impossible for people with different values to be together. Yeah. But if I were to headcanon it, I would say that Bordis maybe aligned more with Clyden when they first got together. But through serving in the union, he's grown his mind and opened it up to different possibilities that the Mocklin culture might have been more rigid about. So while Clyden is kind of sitting in his quarters doing whatever he's doing, he's not learning or growing while Bordis is experiencing all these new things Mm -hmm. that have kind of opened his way of thinking up. I do feel like since Clyden's on the ship, he'd have more opportunity, but he does seem to keep to himself. Mm. Does he not? I just realized, does Clyden not have any friends on the ship? I don't know. <gasps> That's so sad and lonely. And mm, I do feel like in some ways, though, Clyden gets in his own way. A lot. Yeah. And so I want a side episode about Clyden. <laughs> like, I don't like theme episodes, but I would love a Clyden side episode. Well, that's just a character episode. We're fine with that. Yeah, we're okay with that. I would be interested in being like, what does Clyden do on his off days? Well, he's just off all the time. What does Clyden do for fun? What if it was just an episode of him sitting in the room? <laughs> just watching, oh, no. singing in the rain, eating Rocky Road ice cream. Yep. I mean, <laughs> that sounds like a good day to me. So I don't know. Back in the simulator, the senior staff is gathered to hear Tala's theory that the crime footage is actually a simulation put together by someone smart enough to fool the ship's computer. She also thinks that Lokar simulated a murder because faking a suicide would have reflected negative consequences upon his family. Further speculating that he's still on board the Orville, she gathers a security team to search for him. This is where I go, man, why did he have to frame somebody? I mean, yeah, Clyden's kind of a jerk, but... Simulate an accident in the simulator. That was my thought, too. Yeah, like instead of having it be somebody that did it, have it be an accident instead. Although I wonder if framing Clyden is a way of discrediting him. Yeah. So that when Clyden does report Lokar, Lokar is not only dead, but now his reputation and his family having to deal with those repercussions don't exist or don't hold as much weight. God, Clyden, why did you have to show up? Yeah, right? <laughs> they were just walking in the hall. <laughs> You're just walking, Clyden. Always, Yeah, he's a gossip. Clearly, Clyden's got too much time off. Now we head. know exactly what he's doing with his time off. He's just walking mm-hmm. around and watching people and gossiping. Yeah, he's he's starting the rumors on mm-hmm. the horrible. He is the, he's patient zero. <laughs> During the search, Tala enters an empty shuttle still docked in the bay when she hears someone moving. Lokar reveals himself, saying that he used the shuttle's cloaking device to mask his location. Smart uh, sci-fi tech here. Mm -hmm. He then begs her to leave him be and pretend like she never saw him. She tells him that despite his bigotry, he can't let Clyden go to prison for a crime he didn't commit. She suggests that he request asylum aboard the Orville, but Lokar doesn't want any more hiding or lies. 
He'll go home to face them. Ugh. She provides options. He did not do the right thing. Mm-mm. So she's just in a bad spot. And he's being a bit of a jerk here. He is. By laying this massive guilt trip on her. Oh, God. This is where he says it'll be on your head or your con. Yes. Like, yeah, that I'm. Mm-mm. So this is where, like, there's so many things Lokar could have done mm-hmm. differently. I take issue with the fact that more than anything, even framing Clyden for murder is that he puts that on her. Yeah, that was really awful. Yeah, because at that point, he was not in the right. I mean, who's to say any of us are in the right with anything if we're going to get really philosophical about things? But she did say, you can request asylum. We'll figure it out. And he just, nope, your fault. Yep. You could have helped me get away. And then Clyden would have been framed for murder. Yeah, don't like it. Back in the mess hall. Ed and Kelly discuss recent events over a drink while wondering how long the alliance between the Union and the Mocklins can continue when they have such fundamental differences. They're interrupted when Cassius enters, and Ed leaves them alone. He asks Kelly if she's still in love with Ed before telling her that he's going to put in for a transfer. He's being very adult about it. He is. He realized how immature he was being post-breakup with sending all the messages and the gifts and all that stuff, and yeah... I found it interesting, too, that, like, they don't even hug and go separate ways. He's hurt to the point where, like, all he can do is give her a handshake. I don't blame him. No, I don't either. Because, I mean, she's very much, she's still got feelings for Ed, and I think he always knew. I think so, Cash too. Cash always knew that. So, and, and then to come find her in the mess hall, having a drink with Ed would be just kind of like a, yeah, I gotta go. Mm-hmm. Clyden meets with Tala in the briefing room to thank her for proving his innocence. She tells him that she was just doing her job, but from now on, he would do well to leave her alone. Dang. This whole scene was just, I was just sitting there like, oh my gosh, like secondhand just uncomfortableness because Mm -hmm. Clyden's just going based off his culture. Paula's just kind of like, I want nothing to do with you. Mm -hmm. She's kind of a loose cannon. She was crying so hard, but again, she just got the guilt trip. Yep. And Lokar is going back to Mockless to deal with whatever repercussions come from him being attracted to females. I don't know. Did they ever really say what happens? It's a life imprisonment. So, I mean, at that point, she knows he's going back to Mockless to be sentenced to life. And Clyden gets to just kind of do whatever he wants. Clyden goes around pointing fingers a lot. He does. And I can understand, but it just seems like... Tala is very much just unloading on him, but she seems like she doesn't know where to put her emotions. And she's not wrong for doing so. She's obviously very emotional right now. And it is like, hey, your beliefs clash so much with mine that you just ruined the life of someone I cared about. Yeah. And I can't reconcile that. So you probably should just leave me alone. She's very intense about that. Mm hmm. The way it was worded. And Clyde doesn't say anything. He just leaves. Yeah. I mean, she's intense about everything. So it still is consistent with her character. This is why I want. I want a Clyde episode starting after this moment when he leaves that room. Oh, man. Oh, to be a fly on the wall. Oh, man. So what is your big takeaway from this episode? My big takeaway from this episode is I loved learning more about Mocklin culture. Mm-hmm. 
I like staying there tech. I feel like we really learned a lot more about not just Bordis or Clyden, but the culture as a whole. So we got to see more of the practices and what they believe. We learned a lot about Tala this episode, too. We did. Yeah. We learned about her history, her ethics, and that she's a loose cannon. And, but it was nice to actually get to know the character more than just what well, I feel like it's been very surface level so mm. far with her. I guess my big takeaway is that I think it's a very difficult pill to swallow at the end. I think there's a lot of things that play into it. I don't agree with Lokar putting that guilt on her. I think my biggest takeaway was that moment just being that's so damaging for a person mm-hmm. to have that put on them, especially when you know what they're what they're going to be facing. And so I guess I can't understand her very emotional reaction to Clyde and being like, hey, thanks for getting me off and just being like, you can leave because you haven't helped the situation. You weren't an innocent bystander in it. Yeah, like, this is all your fault to begin with, so don't come to me thanking me for helping you out. Mm-hmm. Because you're just a little gossip goose walking around the ship because you have nothing better to do. And I can't say that I love this episode, but I think it's because the topic is kind of heavy. Sure. That it, you don't walk away feeling like, ah, oh, it's a little light, fun episode of the Yorville. Not that they all are like that, but this one especially just because... You want the good things for Lokar, but then he does awful things to people also. Mm-hmm. And you see the consequences play out. And I have, I guess, from a personal perspective, I don't like guilt trips of manipulation. And I feel like this episode heavily, there's a big point in this episode, Climax, where it's just like, what do you do in that situation? You have to make a really difficult choice. Yeah. And I, I think it's a very good episode to get you thinking and talking about very difficult topics. Mm-hmm. What did you think? For me... Kind of like you, this is a bit of a middling episode. I don't love it, but I absolutely don't hate it either. It's just kind of like right in the middle there. Yeah. Obviously, the big themes like we talked about here are homophobia and the consequences of that prejudice, not just in how those prejudices can hurt the one person, but the people around them as well. There's a lot of people affected by this just because one person or a whole culture had this particular prejudice. I was very happy to get more exploration into Tala's character. I feel like she kind of needed that right now. Yeah. To kind of catch up with the rest of the crew. We've had so much time with the rest of them and she's still relatively new. So having an episode very much centered around her felt appropriate at this moment. Yeah. I'm also on that note, continually impressed by Jessica Zor's performance. It's not easy to join a show midstream like this. No. While replacing a fan favorite character at that. But she has hit the ground running. Mm-hmm. She seamlessly kind of fell into the show. Yeah. And that in itself is very impressive. I don't know what the predominant opinion is among fans. I am more than satisfied with Tala, though. I actually quite prefer her. I feel like there's a lot more to her character than we got with Alara. Yeah, I'm excited to see where her character arc goes. And Alara had her own issues that we got to see. And like in the last episode with Alara, we got to see where a lot of her issues stemmed from. Mm -hmm. And now I'm like, oh, God, I want to know more about Alara now that she's I mean, I I am curious if down the road we'll find we'll get an episode where we get to hear how she's grown Mm -hmm. with Tala. I'm excited to see. A security officer who's willing to yell and get in people's faces. It's kind of interesting because it could go in a lot of different directions of her like handling stuff and also creating more problems. Mm-hmm. So I, I have enjoyed her character a lot so far. Lokar was an interesting yet very problematic character. 
I did have sympathy for him up until the point where he tried to put the blame and guilt on Tala. Mm -hmm. That was an incredibly low move that doesn't make me want him to have the sentence he got, but I did lose some of that sympathy for him by him making that move. And I wish they had done something a little bit different. So I did feel the sympathy that I really should have by the end of the episode. It also feels too like the show is turning against Clyden a little bit. Were they ever like Team Clyden? No, but I think he's more often than not a point of antagonism. There's a lot of negativity around Clyden. There is. We've seen a lot of controversial opinions from him in the past, mm -hmm. but we've never seen members of the crew actually turn against him in that way. Like Tala writes him off and she's still relatively new and she's like, I'm just done with you. And then we get the quick scene at the end where it's kind of implied that Bordis now has another major issue with him. Yeah, I think as sad as it is, Clyden is a perfect example of a toxic person mm -hmm. where even though Tala's new, she can sense maybe she's just able to check on red flags easily, but he just kind of antagonizes Bordis. Clyden doesn't care who he upsets. He just kind of goes like, this is my opinion. This is all that matters. It's a very narcissistic way of dealing with people and going, I'm right. You're wrong no matter what. Mm -hmm. And so Clyde needs to learn a little bit of empathy. He seems like when when Bordis was like, hey, I'm still upset about what, what happened to Topa. It seemed like there was a hint of it. Mm -hmm. But Clyden's very arrogant. He is. And it does seem like the stakes are getting raised every time Clyden makes like I mean, he killed Bordis because that's culturally what they do during a divorce. But. Clyde's just kind of like, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And I don't really feel like the consequences apply to me. Mm. And he's been let off so many times. This is another example of him just kind of getting off scot-free. Granted, he didn't do anything lawfully wrong here. And I guess at the end, there is some poetic justice with Tala being like, you need a check, essentially. Yeah. So maybe that's more of what that scene was for to kind of go like, yeah, finally, someone's going to tell Clyden how it is because Bordis doesn't really. No. And nobody else does either. And so maybe now they're, I'm curious to see if there's going to be a turn in the next few episodes or if he's just going to keep on going, doing, doing Clyden things. I mean, yeah, it's, it does feel like the show's turning against him a little bit. But that being said, his presence is welcome in the sense that it's very useful for the stories that they want to tell. Yeah. He's a good um, catalyst for conflict. Absolutely. Before we get out of here, we have one more thing to do. Because Katie's husband, Mark, is also a fan of the Orville and always leaves us with his one sentence review. Coming this summer, it is what comes before the egg, a dutiful coital experience based on the book by Nicholas Sparks. Quantum Drive is a production of The Geek Generation. If you like this show, be sure to check out our other podcasts on The Geek Generation Network at thegeekgeneration.com. If you'd like to support the show and get access to exclusive bonus podcasts along with other perks, you can visit our Patreon campaign at thegeekgeneration.com slash support. You can follow Quantum Drive on Twitter at Quantum Drive Pod and me at Logan. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayKatiePlay and on Twitch at KatiePetersPlays. And Katie is spelled K-A-T-I-E. Please rate the show and write a review on Apple Podcasts. If you do, we may read your review on an upcoming episode. 
Finally, questions and comments can be sent to quantumdrive at thegeekgeneration.com. We're out of here for now, but we'll see you soon in In the the future. future.